Yeah, when I did this Not to be personal, but if you ever put yourself in my place and think about the responsibility that I have, I mean, for me, I brought over 2,500 messages here at New Spring, and then I brought many before I became pastor here. I mean, every weekend when I come to the campus to speak five times, I realize that there are people who are here for the first time. They, they may not be God followers. They may not even be sure they believe in God. But a New Springer friend or family member has said, my church is a little different, which is our church is a lot different, I guess. But uh, he said, my church is a little different. And so I realize whenever I get up to talk that somebody may be here for the first time. And today that may be you. And, and you know, we're not the easiest church to attend. It's a, there's a traffic jam. And there's a line of cars in a parking lot. You've got to find a parking place. And then lines to get your kids checked in. Lines at the coffee shop. So, and then you've got to come in and find a seat in the dark sometimes. So I, I know it's not easy. And, and I always pray and say, God, you know, please, don't, don't let me... Don't let me push anybody away. I mean, the Lord has messages. The Bible has messages that are very strong, and I'm never ashamed of those. But at the same time, I don't want to, to drive someone away by something foolish I might say. So I, I think about that. There are people that are here for the first time. But there's another thought that's a lot more serious. <clears throat> and I've lived this out for many, many weeks. Is that for somebody here, it might well be their last time. Way too many times I've had a funeral in the middle of the week and I realized the sermon I just brought was the last sermon this person ever heard. So I think about that. There are going to be times when this is going to be someone's first visit and it could be someone's last visit. And I will guarantee you, just to tell you what, what, what it's like for me, when someone does die and I'm the last person they hear speak for God, it will sure have me going back over my sermon to make sure I said everything that I wanted to say. Or I felt like God would have me sing. It's a frightening thought. And I especially love this particular service because I get to hide. In the old days when we were a traditional church, and some of you come from a church like this, there were huge chairs on the stage like thrones. And I had to sit in them, and other leaders in our church sat in them. And, and I love to worship. But the only problem is I have everybody watching me. So I love in this service going up in the gallery up here and just being with everybody else. And that is such a great, great thing. I love that. But as I'm up there worshiping, I'll be honest with you, and I'm a shy person by nature, I have this fear in just a few moments, everybody that's singing right now is going to be quiet, and the only voice in the room is going to be mine. <laughs> and that's a scary thought. So I think that that's given rise to a fantasy that I've had through the years. And I know that this fantasy is not likely to be realized, but I always imagine myself getting ready to get up here on stage and talk, when suddenly the back doors blow open and in walks Jesus. And Jesus just walks down the center aisle and says, I'll take this today, Mark. I would love that. And wouldn't you love that? Yeah. He is here. He just has never said that, I'll take this today, Mark. But it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if he came in? Because we would love to hear what he would have to say. And I think that that's, that fantasy is what gave rise, hopefully along with the Spirit of God, to my bringing the series Red Letters four years ago. Because what we did was we just explored the sayings of Jesus. If you wonder where red letters comes from, for all of us who are Sunday school kids who grew up in church, chances are we all had a Bible that had red letters in it. And the red letters, the red ink there, were sayings of Jesus that were set apart from other sayings in the Bible. And so 
for eight weeks, I did nothing but just bring words of Jesus. And as you heard me in the bumper video, I narrowed it down to 50, and then I think I narrowed it down to 21. And one of the hardest jobs I ever had to do was to narrow down the sayings of Jesus to go from what I believe were the 21 most important things Jesus said down to the eight. Not that I knew. By the way, does that sound like sequel to you? Because I had to mark through a lot of great things Jesus said that just didn't make the cut. But I was always assured of one thing, and not throughout that whole process. I knew one thing would be the most important thing Jesus would say, and I started the series with this one. If Jesus walked down this aisle and stepped up on stage today, I believe he would stretch out those glorified carpenter arms, and with nail scars in his hands, he would motion for you to come. He would say, come. Whatever else he might say, he would say, come. To all of you, to those of you who have been followers of him for many years, he would say, come. To someone here who's not even sure you believe in God, he would still say, come. That, that's the very nature of Jesus. I read and reread the Gospels before I did that series, and time and time again, Jesus was saying, come. And we're going to look at six of those places today very quickly. The reason why I find that significant today is you and I live in a world that says, go away. We live in a world that's very selective. People, make, people have biases and prejudices that are based on all kinds of things. Sometimes it has to do with how much money you make. Sometimes it has to do with a person's race. Sometimes it could have something to do with the person's gender. It, it could just be that you just don't fit the crowd. And the earliest, earliest thing in life that we experience that, is, that brings pain to us is someone saying, go away. And it starts out on the playground when just kids don't want you to play with them. They say, go away. Some of you are 50 years old, and you can still remember when you were a kid, and somebody said, go away, go away. It, it could be that you're not a cheerleader. Go away. It could be that you just, you know, you're not one of the more attractive people in the way that the kids saw it when they were in school, and they said, go away. And then as you get older, it gets a little more complicated and a little stronger. Maybe you're dating somebody, and you think, wow, this person is special, only to find out this person says, go away. I don't want you around anymore. And then it's, go away. We're not going to receive you. We're not going to accept you into our college. Or in this economy that we're in right now, for the last few years, some of you know what it's like to give your heart and soul to a company only to get to work one day, and someone is saying, go away, and security is escorting you out to your car. And I know in this great church that thousands and thousands of people attend, I've heard enough of your stories to know that some of you were in the marriage you thought would last a lifetime, and you loved him, you loved her with everything you had, and you thought nothing could ever break you up, only to be served papers one day that said, go away. And as strange as it may sound, I've actually known people who had their parents say to them, we want you to go away. We don't, we don't feel like you're our child anymore. But I can't think of anything more horrible, as bad as those circumstances are. I mean, now there's a word for that. We call it rejection. It's one of the most painful things we experience. With all the pain of that kind of rejection, I can't imagine anything more horrifying than having the God of creation look at me and say, go away. Go away. But you know what? I can understand how he would. I mean, when I think about my life as flawed and much failure as I have in my life, I would certainly understand if Mark said, if God said to me, go away. And specifically, Jesus, who is the Son of God and perfect, I mean, I'm a total screw up. I can understand how he would say, go away, go away, go away. And yet, when I open the pages of the Bible and I read the words of Jesus in red, over and over and over, he's saying to all kinds of people, come. I mean, he is, he is the God of the invitation. He's always saying, come. 
Well, as I said, you know the service is going to be fairly short, and I've talked to you about six places where Jesus is going to say, come, so obviously I'm going to have to move pretty quickly today. But let's start with this one. When Jesus was on the earth, there were people who didn't, they didn't know what's going to happen to them when they died. Were they going to go to heaven? Were they going to go to hell? And many people were fearful, as you and I might be fearful, of what's going to happen to us. Because we're flawed people, and we know that if there is a holy God, he's going to hold us to a very tight standard. So what's the possibility of somebody like me going to heaven? And yet when Jesus was on the earth, his invitation was to people who were frightened about this, was to come and have a relationship with him. You know, the secret to going to heaven isn't to become an adherent to a religion. And it's not to become a good person, which is not available to us, because good in God's sight is perfect. See, if you and I compare ourselves to each other, you're probably way better than I am, so you might feel good. But if we compare ourselves to a perfect God, that's not so good. So going to heaven isn't a member of being a, matter of being a member of a particular religion. It isn't being good, or it's not performing rituals. Jesus invited people to have a relationship with him. Now, why is that important? When we mention the term having a relationship with Jesus, why is that so big? Well, in a church like New Spring, I have a number of friends, people I text, people I have lunch with, people I may play golf with on occasion. I've got friends, but I want to just tell you something. Having a relationship with me is not worth very much because I I don't have a lot of resources. I don't bring a lot. I would hope my friends think I'm a good friend, but honestly, having a relationship with me isn't worth a whole lot. But when you have a relationship with Jesus and you understand what he brings into that relationship, you realize how awesome it is. Because the first thing Jesus brings into a relationship with you when you accept his invitation to come is he brings forgiveness. See, that's our problem. We have what the Bible calls sin. Sin is not, you know, in today's terms, we call it mistakes. Hey, A mistake is leaving the milk out. Sleeping with somebody who's not your wife, that's not a mistake. That's a sin. Blaspheming the name of God, that's a sin. Being proudful is a sin. Being selfish is a sin. Being racist is a sin. Those are things that violate a holy God. And and all of us, we're all sinners. And so having sin in our life separates us from God. But you understand that when you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with the one who paid for our sin. It's not that God is the cosmic Pillsbury Doughboy in the sky who just sweeps our sin under the rug. Jesus paid for it. And so when he motions to you with that nail-scarred hand that says, come have a relationship with me, you've got to understand the first thing that means is forgiveness. Not only of the sins, and this is going to freak some of us out, not only to the sins we've already committed, but to the sins we commit in the future. You say, Mark, is that possible? Do we have any hope otherwise? I don't know about you, but I can't be perfect 30 minutes. I mean, I can't go 30 minutes without doing something I shouldn't do or failing to do something I should do. And you got to realize this. When Jesus died on the cross, everybody who had already lived, their sins were all past. When he died on the cross, all our sins were future. So when you accept Jesus, he gives you forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you something else that he does. He brings your adoption papers with him. Because, see, when Jesus accepts you, you're adopted as God's daughter or God's son. You're not, you're not a slave. You're not a servant. Certainly, we want to serve the Lord. But you come into his family. You actually become, according to the book of Romans, this is so awesome, I don't have time to preach it, but it's still great. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that we're not just heirs of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. Everything that Jesus inherits, we inherit with him. Because when you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus, you become his daughter, 
You become his son. You become God's son. Awesome. Let me give you this and we'll move to number two. Throughout the Bible, God is always saying, come, 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 come. Please come. If you were to turn to the last book of your Bible, the last chapter of your Bible, the last section of the last chapter of your Bible, God has one final message for you. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of verses that say things like, don't mess with the book of Revelation. But the last significant message of the Bible, you want to hear what it is? This is like God signing off the Bible. You want to hear it? Listen to this. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church, say, C-O-M-E, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. That's a metaphor for salvation. Think about that. Three times, as God is signing off the Bible, he is saying, come, come, come. And that invitation is on the table for you today to come and have a relationship with Jesus. Number two, when Jesus was on the earth, people were stressed out like they are today. And he knew that a lot of times people were stressed out because they were trying to be everything to everybody. I'm not trying to be personal here today, but how many of you here in this service and you're already exhausted? The week hasn't even started yet. And you're already exhausted from last week trying to be everything that everybody wants you to be. You're trying to be what your boss wants you to be, what your wife wants you to be, your husband, what your kids want you to be, what your friends want you to be, what... The Madison Avenue wants you to be. And you're so stretched in so many different, you don't even know who you are anymore. And Jesus knew that would happen. And so he has a wonderful invitation for stressed out people. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he said, come to me, come, there's the word, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, follow that away. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, there's the word again, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's Jesus talking about when he talks about taking his yoke on us and it being easy? Lloyd Ogilvy gives us a great picture of this. He said what Jesus was referring to was a training yoke. And having been a carpenter, he would have made a lot of these. A yoke was a wooden device that would go around the necks of a team of animals that were beast of burden to pull. But he said a training yoke would have two openings. One would be very large for an experienced, mature beast of burden that was accustomed to pulling whatever or plowing or whatever. And then there would be a smaller opening for a smaller animal that was in training. And Ogilvy said that when the younger animal, the smaller animal, had the yoke around his neck, really, in reality, the larger animal was doing all the work. He said all that was necessary for the animal in training was just to keep step with the mature animal. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, look, take my yoke upon you. I do all the heavy lifting. All you have to do is keep in step with me. Now, guys, this could be a whole message within itself, but I'm going to give you homework. If you want to know in real terms what it means to keep step with Jesus, go home and read three chapters. Read Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Those three chapters comprise what we call the Sermon on the Mount, or as some people call it, the Kingdom Manifesto. Jesus is laying out for us what it's like to live for him and read the things that Jesus talks about. And what you'll discover in that is what he calls us to do not only brings comfort to us, but it's healing and it's meaningful and beneficial in all our relationships. So if you're stressed out, and that's a lot of us, Jesus is saying, come to me, simplify your life, quit trying to please everybody, just keep in step with Jesus. The third one, the third point is my personal favorite. 
because there were people Jesus knew were bored. You know, I, I joked about this in the, in the sermon bumper video. I have had ADD all my life. I had it before I knew I had it. And I will just tell you this. For all of you who have ADD, you know already the worst thing anybody can do to us is bore us. Because, and I read this, a great psychiatrist talked about ADD. He said to a person with ADD, boredom is like asphyxiation. And so I love this because Jesus is inviting us, number three, to come live life on the edge. There was a night, an evening, that Jesus had sent the disciples in a boat across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is really a lake. Sometimes it's called Lake Chinaroth. Uh, but in this, in this sea or lake, violent storms could come up. Squalls could come up all of a, all of a sudden. And so the disciples going across the lake, they got into one of these storms that was particularly bad. They were accustomed to Galilee, but it was even bad by their standards. And they, were, they thought they were going to go down the ship. <laughs> So Jesus comes walking on the water. And you got to realize, Jesus wasn't walking on water for the cool factor. He was walking on water because that's the fastest way to get to them. Now, <laughs> I love this. I hope this is all on, on video because I'm going to watch it when I get to heaven. The disciples were scared of the storm until they saw Jesus walking on the water, and then they really got scared. They forgot about the storm. It's like, what in the world is that? And they thought it's a ghost. I mean, they thought, man, we're not only dead, we're past dead. There are ghosts out here walking on the water. Eleven of the disciples were freaked out. But one of the disciples was standing there in the middle of the storm thinking, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Peter is thinking, I have bathed in it, I've drunk it, but I sure never have walked on the stuff. That's the coolest thing I ever saw in my life. And he said something, and I would love to just do a whole sermon on this one line. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out. In other words, I don't have the courage to do it, but if it's you, and only if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on the water to you. Now, let me just ask you this. If you're Jesus, what are you going to say to Peter? Like, stay in the boat, Peter. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm Jesus. You're Pete. Stay in the boat. <laughs> it's not, it ain't good for you to walk on water. I made it. I know how to walk on it. But Peter, just sit, just sit down and shut up and sit tight in the boat. If I'm, if, if I'm Jesus, that's what I would say. But I'm not Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Come on. Come on. Come on out. Walk on water. Many of us here have followed Jesus. And we've, we've responded to the invitation to come for a relationship. And when we get stressed out, we go to him in prayer. But there's some of us, we don't have any I got out of the boat stories. Because in this 21st century sedentary American lifestyle, we want to play it safe. And it's like, well, you know, I'll go to church and, then, you know, I'll take my kids and I might drop a little bit in the offering plate. But I keep it real safe. Guys, I don't want to be personal about this. But in 30 years of being your pastor, there have been a lot of times when I had, and, then, and it wasn't just me, it was the church at, in, at large. We had to push all the chips to the middle of the table and bet everything on Jesus. I mean, we didn't keep chips back. We pushed them all to the middle of the table. There were so many seasons where we risked it all. If we had gone down, we wouldn't have just been dead. We would have been so dead. But I had the feeling that Jesus was calling us to get out of the boat.
I mean, if you think about this worship center that you're in, over 6,000 people were here last weekend. It was built by a church of 600. When we relocated out here, it was an eight-year process. It was impossible. Trust me on this. It was impossible for seven years and 51 weeks. It was not possible until the Tuesday before our first service on May 23rd, 1999. I mean, you talk about walking on water. But let me just tell you, this is the part that's interesting. Because at this stage of my life, I'm invited, and I try to keep the invitations to a minimum. But like, for instance, um, last month I was in a church in the middle part of the country, and I spent one day with their staff, one day with their board, and then one day I preached at the church. And, and so my, my reason in going there, they invite me in to talk to them about how they can be effective as a church. And so I try to go, come, and, and I tell stories. Let me ask you a question. Do you think I tell the stories about when everything was easy and we just put it on cruise control? What are the stories worth telling? I want to tell them about those times that we risked everything. I want to tell them about those times that we were scared to death. I want to tell them about those moments when if God hadn't rescued us, we would have been so dead. Those are the stories worth telling. If you want to know what you're going to tell your children and your grandchildren, you won't tell them about, well, you know, I made a bunch of money and, you know, we lived in a really nice house and, yeah, we went to church during that time. What kind of stories do you have to tell your kids and grandkids about Jesus when he invited you out of the boat and you lived life on the edge? If you don't have any any stories like that to tell yet, you should get some. Well, I would love to just preach that, but let's move on. Number four, and I know that most of the people who would hear this message are in kids' world, but Jesus wants you to come, especially if you're a child. You know, in Jesus' day, in the Roman world, children weren't, weren't considered worth much. They were just pieces of property. Did you know in the Roman world? You know, if a family had a baby, the father would, they would put the baby in the father's arms, and the father would decide if he wanted to keep it or not. If the father decided he didn't want to keep the baby, it, was, it, was just, it wasn't even considered a person. They would put the little boy, a little girl, the little baby out on the porch, and people would come by, collect it, and become a slave. So in Jesus' day, children were, they were considered, I mean, in our world today, thankfully, they're a lot more important, and I think that's because of the influence of Christ. But back in those days, children weren't as concerned important. And so there were young families that did today what I think young families should do. Uh, they did back then what, we, what young families should do today. They wanted to bring their children, their babies, to Jesus to bless them. And he did. And so obviously there were, you know, Jesus teaching. And then there were people queued up in order to be healed. But then there would be these young families with their little ones, and they would want Jesus to bless them. And Jesus' disciples being influenced by the ideas of the day, felt like these kids were in the way. And I want you to read what Jesus had to say to that. Jesus said, let the little children, there's our word, come to me and do not hinder them. Jesus said to the disciples, guys, the kids aren't in the way, you're in the way. Get out of the way, let the children come to me. Guys, I want to tell you, that's why at New Spring, kids are our most important audience. There was actually a time when we were really beginning to grow that we took all our adult space and turned it into kids' space. Why? Because Jesus says, I want the children to come to me. You know what's exciting, and I don't have time to tell the story because I'm so out of time already. I'm starting to watch a whole generation of kids who've gone through the pipeline of kids' world, and now they're in high school. And I'm telling you, we have got some radically awesome young people. Yeah. Yeah. 
I preached at high school camp, and I can't believe I did this. I preached over an hour the first two nights, and they just they hung right with me. The last night I had to drive home, and the camp is to like Joplin. And so I told them, I said, tonight I'm only going to preach about 30 minutes. And the kids started to boo, and they started yelling out, preach an hour, preach an hour. These are high school kids. I've never seen a, the high school group I was in wasn't like that. The next week, I preached at junior high camp. I gave an invitation. There was a number of kids that raised their hands that they were receiving Christ. I said, if you receive Christ, go tell your counselor. And I know that they did, but when I got through, there was a whole line of about 10 or 12 of them that wanted to come talk to me. And just spontaneously, they would come up, and they'd say, Mark, I pray with you tonight. And I heard, I heard the most wonderful 10, 11-year-old Boys and girls that would shake my hand, look me in the eye and say, I just want to live for God. I just want my life to make a difference for Christ. I want to tell you something. God is doing something extraordinary. There's a whole generation of kids growing up in this place that are going to change this world. You wait and see. Jesus has said, I mean, here's the deal. Because some of us adults is like this. Jesus will say, I'm going to get you out of the way and I'll get some kids in here who will do something for me. I mean, some of us adults, all we're doing is just sapping up this world's resources. Jesus said, let the children come. Oh, I wish I had another hour. <laughs> Jesus knew in his audience there were people like there are in every audience I speak to that would worry that maybe it's too late, that they've been too bad, shouldn't have had that abortion, shouldn't have used all those drugs slept with too many people. And maybe you're here like that today. And you go to church, but deep in your heart. See, here's the thing. I really believe that most honest people feel like they're the worst person in the world. I do. You know why? Because we know us. We know ourselves. We know everything we've done. We know what we would have done if we could have gotten by with it. And I think there are people that feel like Maybe there's no hope for me. In Jesus' day, the worst thing you could be, worse than a pimp, worse than a terrorist. You're going to check out this, but it's, it's just different. The worst thing you could be. I mean, these people were considered so bad that when Jesus talked about sinners, he talked about sinners and this group. They were so bad they couldn't even be sinners, you know? The worst person you could be was a tax collector. Because in the Jewish way of thinking, well, Rome used nationals to collect taxes. And in the Jewish way of thinking, no self-respecting Jew would collect taxes for Rome from, from another Jewish person. So only the worst of the worst, the worst thieves, the worst liars, just the worst people, people that were scum of the earth, only they would be tax collectors. And they were notorious thieves because all Rome cared was that Rome got theirs. They would let these tax collectors skim off the top. They would, they would allow them to just put in capricious taxes. They were liars and thieves, and they were the absolute worst. And, and the tax collectors knew there was no hope for them. They weren't welcome in the place of worship. If a self-respecting Jewish person walking down the same side of the road and there was a tax collector, a self-respecting Jew would walk to the other side to keep him from falling his feet. There was a particularly bad one named Zacchaeus, a little short fella. Now, it's interesting to me, and this is worth a sermon on itself, that Jesus liked people who weren't like Jesus. 
And so this guy, Zacchaeus, he was interested and just curious to see Jesus, and he knew that he wasn't worthy to even be seen of him. So he decided to climb up in a tree and hide and just watch Jesus and his posse come by. And Jesus gets to the place where the tree is, and then look at 19, verse 5 in the book of Luke. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come, there's a word, come down immediately. I must stay in your home today. You know, I didn't say this to the last service, and I've only told this to a few of my friends. New Spring is a very different kind of church. And I have watched something the last few years, and I'm just going to spill my heart to you right now. I've never said this in our services until the early service this morning. I have been surprised how God gets people in this church like the last year of their life. People who have never had a relationship with God, people who have never been religious. It's just amazing to me. I mean, the stories are beginning to pile up now. Now it's too much to be coincidence. In fact, I have a funeral tomorrow for a guy who never... Never made it to our service. By his own story, he never really had place in his life for God, but he started watching us on television about a year and a half ago, and he wanted to be here Easter. And he wound up with cancer. He didn't make it here. He couldn't make it. I took an Easter service to him. I have his funeral tomorrow, but he came to faith in the last year of his life. I remember, by the way, if you just came to New Spring, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just... <laughs> I'm going to go just a little bit long today. Is that okay? I remember um, a New Springer invited a friend to come, and um, <clears throat> he introduced me to his friend at the end of the service. His friend was 50 years old. He'd never been in church in his life. He was an air and space engineer, an, a- an atheist, non-theist. And so uh, I came down from the stage, and, my, and the New Springer called me over and said, Mark, would you come here for a second? So I have a friend I want you to meet right here in this spot. I met him. His first words to me were, honestly, I don't know about this Jesus dude, but I like listening to you talk. Those are his first words right here. So I said, well, hey, that, that's cool. Just please keep coming. And a few months later, he accepted Christ. And from your old New Springers, you remember we used to have the Hartman Arena and do baptism services over there. I baptized him and his wife at the Hartman. And, and one day we went to lunch. We became really close friends at this point. And, and uh, we were at Red Lobster on the west side of town. And he just said, Mark, I haven't been able to eat very much. I can't get very much down. And he wanted to call for a box. And it turned out that he had stage three esophageal cancer. And when he came to the point of death, and I'm not fibbing to you a bit, he had far greater faith than I have. Amazing, isn't it? I'm just, there's so many stories. I had a funeral for a guy. He was here the last year of his life, became a radical New Springer. The only reason he came to church is somebody said the pastor's wearing a football jersey. He just came to see a church where a pastor would wear a football jersey. <laughs> it's just amazing how the God is like in his grace and his mercy just reaches out to a person. And, because see, here's the thing. According to Scripture, it is not God's will that anybody perish. God wants everybody to come to a place of a change of mind toward him. And so even if you feel like you're the worst person in the world and you feel like it's too late to you, if Jesus was here with that nail-printed hand, he would reach out to you and he would say, come. And there's one more. You realize that when the time comes for you to die, (laughs) down here for us it looks like it's over, but all that happened was Jesus just said, come home. Come home. 
You remember when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus? Remember what he said? He just said, Lazarus, come. My dad died two years ago in July. I miss him on Father's Day. But I remember that two years ago, really all that happened was God called down to his servant, and he said, WM, come on home. I know this. If Jesus was here, no matter what your circumstance or situation, he would not say to anybody here, go away. He would say, come.
Listen, I'm through. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never push away. If you come to Jesus today, it's an eternal relationship. I've met people that they were with you for a while and then not. But when you come to Jesus, it's an eternal relationship. Think about the 23rd Psalm for a second. By the way, you know the 23rd Psalm is a messianic psalm. It's, the, it's part of a trilogy. It's the middle of a trilogy. The 22nd Psalm is the most graphic depiction of crucifixion you'll ever read, a thousand years before Jesus was born and 300 years before the Carthaginians invented it. Read it sometime. Chapter 24, the 24th Psalm is about the resurrection. But the 23rd Psalm is almost like Jesus is preaching his own funeral. Now, you know the Psalm, many of you. Do you remember that part of the Psalm where it says, you prepare a table before me in the middle of my enemies, my cup runs over? That didn't mean a thing to us in the Western world. But in the Eastern world, it's pretty big. I'll tell you what I mean. If you had a guest over at your house and they had dinner, you'd, give them, you'd fix them a drink after dinner. And if you only filled the glass halfway up, that was your way of saying, this visit's about over. When you're finished, it's time to go. And if you filled the drink all the way to the top, it would be like, we've had a really good time together, but when this drink is over, it's time for you to go. We're getting close to the end. But if your host filled up the drink all the way to the top so that it splashed over the top onto the table, it was the host's way of saying, I want you to stay. And if every time you took a drink, the host did it again, it was, I don't want you to go. And that's what David is saying. When Jesus invites you to come, he just keeps pouring until it spills over. He doesn't ever want you to go. Do you have a relationship with Jesus today? I know I'm five minutes over time. Sorry about that. But i got to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking you, are you a Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Muslim, Buddhist? Are you a spiritual person? None of those things. It won't get you out of Cedric County when you die. Not that there's not some good in all that. I'm just saying, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't, you can have one. I mean, when somebody's already invited you to come, all you got to say is yes, right? So I'm going to give you a prayer of acceptance. And these aren't magic words. You can use your own if you wish. But I just, just to kind of give you these words, I'll pray them slowly. You can decide whether you want to own them or not. But these are words that say yes to his invitation. And if you want to make that happen right now, you can do it with me. Would you pray? Jesus, you told me to come. And I'm coming. I believe you died for me. I believe somehow God raised you from the dead and you're alive today. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Again, you told me to come and I'm saying yes. With everything I have, I'm trusting you to be my Savior and King in Jesus' name. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer before you leave, I know we're crowded today, but take a moment to go out to guest services out in the middle. I have a gift for you. It won't cost you anything. They're not going to hassle you, ask you questions. They just want to give you the gift. It's a book I wrote, a DVD, and a coupon for a new Bible. All you got to go back and say is, I prayed with Mark, and they'll give this to you. And by the way, one more thing. 
I've ranked these messages six down to number one. For me, the number one message is not what most New Springers think it is. Most old New Springers who were here at the time, including Mary Alice, think next week's message is really number one. So I just want to give you that. Mary Alice is always right, so I know that that's, that's true. Next week is going to be a very special service, so you're, you're not going to miss next week. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks for staying late.